0: Hello and welcome to From the Be All End. Yes, it's nearly here. We're looking forward to the start of the Premier League season and Burnley's home game with Manchester City. And we have another bumper episode for you today. Coming up later in the show, we have a super interview with former Burnley player and former Manchester United assistant manager for many years, Mike Phelan, a man well known to people around the Burnley and Pendle area and probably. Almost certainly the most successful coach that the area has ever produced. What does it take to take the step up to the Premier League? We'll be going into that and a load of other things with Mike Feeling in the second half of the show. And before that, of course, our usual chat as we look ahead to the City game, we talk about the mission to Burnley and we talk about our new signings with the crew here. And I have with me Andrew Griefs, Paul Woodhouse, and an impact sub coming in this week off the bench. Andy Jones from The Athletic. Hello, Andy. Hello. Thanks for having me on. Good, good, good. We're having to bring in strengthening reinforcements just before the start of the season because we've got Justin on his holidays, enjoying a lovely time. And poor old Chris Borden, his son Jimmy's not feeling so well, so he's taking care of Jimmy. And uh, yes, all the crew send our best wishes for Jimmy for a very swift uh, get well soon and swift recovery for him. Sure, it'll be uh, up and bouncing by the time Vincent Company's boys take the field on Friday night. So let's get into this. Before we get right into it, though, just a reminder that, uh, well, not a reminder, some news that we have uh, a new addition to our podcast lineup, which is on Mondays. We're going to be producing a second edition every week. So Monday and Friday. So you look at your phone on Monday morning and you'll see some fresh content there. Every Monday, looking back at the weekend's action, regardless of what day it's taken place, whether it's Friday, Saturday or Sunday. This week it's Friday. Gives us some time to think, give you our considered view of it, and we'll have some guests on that as well from time to time. Shorter podcast, looking back on the game, analyzing it, what do we think of it, and so on. So hopefully you'll enjoy that one in your phones on a Monday morning. Right, let's get into it. So, new signings, Andy. You had a big story out this week predicting some uh, activity in the transfer market, and uh, some of that has already come to pass. So, what's the what's the score as it is now?
1: Yeah, so yeah, it was like Tuesday, I think, was when I sort of put out me my, my big transfer roundup, if you like, and um, then you know a couple of those things have happened. So, but has obviously has obviously left to go loan to, to Hoffenheim, and and Sander Berg, Berger has, has has come the other way um, and, and been the next through the door, the tenth signing of the summer, the the eighth new one, if you like. Um, yeah. And then obviously, as as Vincent Kompany confirmed, but um, we'd sort of reported in that um, that, you know, Adam Ramsey was expected to to sort of make the move to um, from Villa. And there was sort of just the little details. And then my, my colleague at the Athletic, David Ornstein, then reported sort of the fee that it was going to be, which is around 14 million plus add-ons. And it will include the buyback. And I think the buyback has been, and, and sort of the, the stuff around that has been sort of the hold-up on the deal. Um, Burnley's end has been, well, felt like pretty tied up for a while, really. And it's just been a case of, um, you know, the player and, and Villa sort of coming to terms on, on what exactly that buyback would be and, and what the figure will be. Because obviously Burnley, if they're going to develop a player, want to get, in a similar vein to, to James Trafford, they'll want to get, you know, maximum value if if they have to sell him back to, to Aston Villa in a couple of years' time. But obviously that would mean he's,
0: He's done well for Burnley. Yeah, what do you make of it, Andrew? Uh, it's two interesting signings there.
2: Yeah, I think I think Sander Berger um, is, is just an exceptional signing. I think he's um, it, it's one of them lovely signings that's come out of left field. It's come out of nowhere. You know, I think we've discussed this a few times, the little, little smoke screens. You know, I, I don't doubt that we were interested in a lot of players. But the Berger transfer just came from nowhere. And it was just like, nah, Sheffield United are never going to sell. And then you look and it's like, oh, last year his contract. You know, he don't want to sign a new contract. There's talk of, you know, Chef United freezing him out if he do not go or do not sign a contract. And I think he's just what we're looking for. I know, Simon, we were chatting on the WhatsApp group and, you know, you said 25, we were discussing that with Mick Phelan earlier. Mm. 25 is that lovely age and and and, and Mike Phelan earlier said, uh, as we'll hear, that you need players around that age. It's good having all these kind of young, young players coming in, but you just need someone with a bit of experience. So for me, I agree with you. I think he's an absolutely superb signing. Uh, Ramsey, I can't say I know too much about him, but having spoken to a few kind of Villa um, people in, involved with, you know, supporting Villa and things, they actually think that he's got more potential than than his brother Jacob as well, which um, I, I just think is, is incredible that, you know, he's... Somebody else, young, somebody else we can develop. I love these buyback clauses. You know, I mean, if the Trafford one is three times the fee and the the Jake, uh, the, see, I almost get mixed up there. Aaron Ramsey is probably something similar, two times, three times the fee. You know, it shows that actually there's an expectation that these players will get to that stage and we're not going to have his pants pulled down um, with low transfer fees because, you know, Vincent Company will develop these players in the way
0: we need them to. Woody, what you, what's your thoughts on these deals? Uh, they look to have answered one of the problems that you identified when we were talking last week about the, about the centre of midfield. You and other people, obviously, but
3: yes, I'm not just the, I'm not just the only one. It's nice to hear that 25 is now an old head. But uh, <laughs> I think S- Sander Berg feels like a bit of a, a languid throwback, the likes of your Matt Latissiers and your Chrissy Waddles. Not in terms of quality, I'm not comparing them in that respect, but in his gait. And the way that he kind of runs, is deceptive, isn't it? He seems to be like floating around the pitch a little bit, waddles. Then all of a sudden, he'll drop a shoulder as a nice little turn for a, for a big lad, for a six foot five lad. He's uh, he's 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 more than he's more than decent. And Chef United fans seem to be like throwing themselves off bridges, as are Villa fans a little bit over Ramsey. So you can tell they're obviously very good signings. Once you start looking at what opposition uh, fans mm. are saying and. They're very sad to see both of them go, and Sheffield United fans think they're down already. So,
0: I wonder what Happenheim fans think when they start looking at uh, Burnley social media <laughs> accounts and seeing what fans are saying about Vegos. But uh, it's just—does does this mean Laconga's not happening then? Is that one falling through? Do you think, Andy? <sighs>
1: Well, I it when uh, I did a report a couple of weeks ago, which sort of uh, when a lot of the Laconga news was, was breaking, and he certainly played the Vincent company likes, but it was sort of put to me that well, there was a couple of different things in it. One was sort of the the sort of the package would be a little bit too much, but also that he wasn't necessarily a priority. Now, when I put that out at the time, there was a lot of other other of, of talk of sort of the being a talk and stuff, and I think there has been those conversations, but evidently. When you look at, you know, they've gone to to get Sander Berger, for example. Um, suddenly, the, you know, that that centre midfield weakness, if you like, or certainly the area that they've been looking to strengthen all summer and hadn't. Um, suddenly, it looks stronger, especially if, you know with Adam Ramsey there as well, because while he he's quite versatile and can play in a number of different roles, they've they've not really been sort of looking for a, a number six, I don't think. Um so they've been more sort of looking for those the sort of advanced or more advanced roles. because um, I think Josh Cullen is going to be, you know, that defensive midfielder, he's going to anchor it. You know, he's going to be so I, I think if if it's one of them, if the price becomes right for Lokonga, then they might still do it because, you know, alone with a you know with, with a, a mandatory or an option to buy is is the type of deal that Burnley will be interested in because of, you know, of one, because of the offset payments, but also you know, you, you do get the chance to for him to work with company for for a year and, and company's obviously worked with him before and, and rates him very, very highly and I think certainly would would want him, but it, it, again it sort of what fits into that budget and and sort of the way Burnley have, have worked is that you know they'll set a value that they think the player is worth and and they're not gonna deviate too much on that um because you know they don't want to be taken advantage of or be taken the cleaners by a club. So um it's one of the I don't think it's necessarily completely off the table that he could ever rule it out. But I think the business that's been done in the last couple of days sort of suggests that you know he wasn't necessarily first choice or certainly the costs didn't quite didn't quite work for Burnley mm. in, in that regard. Yeah, it right does look do
2: like there is still there is still budget there. I know, you know, from speaking to a few people, clearly, you know, they are holding out that Southampton might buckle. I mean, Southampton have played a bit of a blinder. I mean, they're doing it with Lavia, aren't they? The minute kind of, you know, they've now got that bidding war between Liverpool and Chelsea, which is what they were after. Um, there's no such bidding war with Teller, since it looks like we're the only game in town for, for Southampton. But I think what's been really impressive is that we've not, you know, lots of fans clamouring. Oh, just pay eighteen million. I was talking to somebody the other day. If we need to go to twenty million for Teller, we should do it. And I'm saying, but managers. That was me, wasn't it? A, I think it probably was. Yeah. In fact, it actually was. Yeah. Um, I mean, you've covered football for a long time, Sam. One of the one of the daftest things I've ever heard you say. Um, but I said it in the first podcast we did. Yeah, got twenty million quid, we'll have him. But Andy, like you say, I think. Vincent Company has a value on a player. And, you know, I think he's probably a bit miffed that he's actually increased Teller's value to such an extent that it's kind of almost priced us out. But, I mean, the pleasing thing is, I mean, you mentioned the kind of 14 million that, that um, David Ornstein had mentioned for for Ramsey. I'm guessing it's going to be kind of 12, 15 million for Sander Berger. You know, that pushes us over 80 million, I think, doesn't it? I mean, I think we, we tallied it at about 56 million before these two yeah. signings um you know clearly there's still money left in the pot i mean you know companies talking about you know signings that are going to come in and what we want to bring in and things like that i made a bold prediction of 80 to 100 million in the first podcast i think everyone laughed at me um when i made that bold prediction um and i know it's all offset and i you know i do quite like the way we're doing things it's smart but i can't remember you know consecutive windows like this kind of summer january summer where Will essentially have waxed best part of one hundred and fifty million. What we by the time everything's washed out?
0: Yeah, yeah. There's been a lot of bold predictions on this podcast to be fair, like, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, oh, no, yeah, <laughs> it, it it is incredible, isn't it? And and we still haven't got a left back, and you still do wonder, and that's got to that surely that one has to be filled. I mean, that I, I don't see that being an optional one. I mean, am I am I missing something here or? Uh, has he found something in preseason that he thinks we don't need this? I, I, I
1: definitely think left backs still on on the agenda, and I think I don't think all hope has gone that Ian Mattson might, you know, if if he doesn't necessarily find himself getting games for Chelsea in that initial period, do they have a little bit of a rethink? I know Potts has spoken so positively about him, and rightly so, um, but you do think, you know, if, if Ben Chilwell is number one and when's Matt, Ian Mattson getting games other than sort of especially given Chelsea haven't even got, you know, European football of any kind to sort of, you know, blood them in that either. Um, so they may come a point and they still have Cucurella there as well. And it was interesting that Lewis Hall's, I think, gone to Palace, um, you know, another player who could play in, in that position. Um, mm. So you, I, you never know with that one. Um, I think what it was been interesting is sort of his use of Alder Keel in pre-season as sort of like that left back and, it's interesting that obviously, and obviously the the comparisons are easy because it's company and Man City and Pep, but the way Pep used that sort of inverted full back, you know, system that he very much went to well, we're going to have that left back is going to be a centre back effectively and and Nathan Ake or a Kanji or whoever he used there. And you do wonder if, if companies thought, well, you know, if if the left back, if the right left back's not necessarily out there, do we look at doing something like that? So, you know, and and Alda Keel has got the athleticism and the, the physical attributes to be able to. You know, he's not going to get blown past by wingers, for example, um, because he does have that that pace. Um, and he, so you do wonder if there's an element of is that part of the thing. And you do also have Charlie Taylor there, who I know not, n- isn't necessarily you know the the prototypical Vincent Comedy player, if you like, but you've you've got an experienced Premier League player there who. You know, he knows the score, he knows what he's doing. Um, so there is a you know, it's not like there's no one to play left back. Um, you do have Taylor and and I think, you know, it, it wouldn't surprise me if Adakieel is is maybe there on on Friday, for example, to to sort yeah. of maybe match up against yeah, the team yeah. system.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's um it's not quite a Jiao Cancelo, is he? It? But it, it's uh you know, that way they've done it with the central defenders. You you're absolutely right on that. And I think as well. You know the way that uh, the way that he set the team up in in those preseason friendlies suggests he might be thinking along those lines. And also, I do agree about not reading too much into Pochettino's comments about Martsen because we kind of see this every year with big clubs, don't we? And Ferguson used to do it at United all the time. He'd sing the praises of some young lad who performed uh, well in preseason games, and then he's off on loan to a club in Belgium for a season or something like that. Um you, you also have to remember, Matton, sorry
1: to, to interrupt, but you also have to remember he's only got 12 months left on his contract or less than 12 months. So if Chelsea mm-hmm. wanna, you know, for him to sign a new deal, they're not gonna say, Oh yeah, you can go, mate, <laughs> type thing. So they, there's all different things that might be playing into it um as, as well. But the fact that he's got less than a year left is is also another sort of factor that plays into to what exactly might be might be going on there.
0: So if you were sat Woody in that uh Famous uh, dining room at Burnley now that we've all seen, sat at the end of a long table with Alan Pace and uh, and the other American gentlemen and you were uh, Vincent Company. What would you be saying we absolutely need to do before the end of the window now?
3: Get Moorich in that left back. No, I mean, yeah, there's probably there's probably a back. I'd probably keep a little bit of powder dry, depending on what you might see over the weekend or whatever. Look, I genuinely, I genuinely don't know other than what we said with regards to left-back. Maybe some more reinforcement in the middle of the park and maybe somebody up front. But I'd probably just focus on spunking quite a bit of money on a full-back or somebody else to cover the centre of midfield.
0: Greavesy, what What do you think?
3: Yeah, I
2: think left-back. I mean, we we were linked. I quite like the look of the lad at Feyenoord. I think he obviously played in a good system. Um, under a good manager, uh, Hartman, I think it is, the Dutch lad. Um, You know, that's gone a bit quiet, but, you know, as we've seen with a few signings, you know, the um, Amdoony signing for one and a couple of others, they just come out of nowhere, don't they? It's kind of like, you know, one minute we've not got anybody and then Monday morning it could be step to sign. I mean, we've got the... The lad from Troy's as well, who's apparently, you know, on his way for his medical, according to French press. That's another nine, eleven million, whatever it is. You know what I mean? Another winger, obviously. Um, but I agree with what Andy said in terms of, you know, it, it's perhaps not as desperate in the thinking stakes as most fans think it is. And, you know, I, I love Alder Keel. I think if you can find a way of getting Alder Keel, Bayer, and clearly O'Shea is going to be, I think, your, your first choice centre-half, perhaps alongside Bayer if you can get Alder Keel somehow into that side as well, I, I just think he's an absolute rose-royce for a player, Alder Keel. And, you know, maybe that's the thinking, that Pep-style system, you know, with Roberts as the inverted fullback on the other side, providing that reinforcement alongside Cullen if needed. So, do we need a Laconga? You know, are we going to try and blow teams out the water with almost like a Mighty Ducks-style lineup of just attacking players on on the wings, you know. Could we play Redmond at left-back? I think I floated that idea as a bit more of a kind of a,
0: a, a wing-back, wing so. yeah.
2: you know, doubling up with Zorori. Zorori's not afraid of getting back and sticking a boot in. You know, I don't think we're going to be necessarily lacking. I, I think, you know, we and again, we discuss it as you'll hear later, I think a striker for me now, I think yeah,
0: yeah. Know,
2: perhaps goal threat, um, I, I happen to think Foster's going to come good. You know, I've said it all along. I think he he looks a good player and he certainly looked good in pre-season. Um, and I think the Premier League will suit him and he kind of looked good against Man City in the, the Cup. Um, I think it was. Um, but yeah, I think I, I'd probably be looking for a striker or, or somebody, a focal point up top. Um, you know, because we've lost Wout. <laughs> um, Femi is going to be out probably until Christmas. So probably won't make the 25-man squad until January at the late at the earliest. Sorry. Jay, love Jay to bits, you know, but he's he's getting on. He's probably not going to get a full season out of Jay without some little injuries that he'll perhaps pick up. Um, you know, unfortunately for him. But I think we do need, you know, from speaking to um to, to Mike earlier, I think that goal threat is what we could really do with.
0: Yeah, he highlighted that, as people will hear in in the interview later on. But he said basically that he highlighted that as a crucial factor for Burnley. He's he's not got any worries particularly about them at the defensive end and that they will keep possession and get possession. But if you're not producing goals, you're going to make life difficult for yourself. So where do those goals come from? Well, we've seen our wingers can score goals, particularly Benson. But... um, but you know, is there enough there? You know, a lot. A lot really depends on. You know, I think the the two players you mentioned there, Foster, is he going to step up and really show us why we spent that money on him in the first place? And I think the signs have been good in preseason. In the mission documentary, Victor uh, Vincent Company seemed very uh, positive about him. And then, of course, there's Dooney, um, who who uh, who's come in for decent money, who's a good goal scoring record. We know he's not a nine, but as Mick also pointed out, who plays with the nine these days? Not that many teams. So, you know, it's it's going to be interesting. Let's move on from uh, transfer talk. And very soon, we won't need to do any transfer talk at all at the end of, of August. But uh, hopefully, once we've uh, got the football underway as well, we'll have a full side and we can leave the, the market to one side. I think we might get Sasha on again, though, before the end of the market, just to give us his view on how things have gone from that end. But uh, let's talk a little bit now about the documentary series that uh, dropped on Sky today, and uh, we'll get into that right now. Yeah, so Mission to Burnley, highly anticipated amongst Burnley fans. Um, A lot of excitement, a lot of speculation about what it might be and what it won't be. Um, I think we've all had a chance to have a look at it. Um Impressions, Woody. Let's start with you. What's your what your impressions of uh, of this uh, documentary, if we can call it a documentary?
3: There's looking at it with your burner glasses on, and you've obviously got to kind of love it. Now, if you take a bit of more of a, a dispassionate view and take those off, and don't think that everything with a claret rosette, or including a turd is the best thing that Burnley's ever produced. There's some problems with it. You know what I mean? It's it's got a weird little narrative. It struggles to find anybody to anchor the story until Vincent turns up, which is a, obviously a strange little analogy with how the season went anyway. But it, it was obviously a you know a vehicle to make our new owners uh, appear more likable. They are a likable bunch. There's no two ways about it. But there was a lot of, yeah. look, we quite like Footy. Look, we play five aside in quarries. You know, look, I'll go and clean some tables, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But you know, overall, it it improved as it went along. It felt quite disjointed. It seemed like they given, even though they didn't. the 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 guy from Sky who does the montage uh, videos free reign to try and make something a little bit longer, but. Overall, I thought Pace came out of it quite well, even though he does have a nervous giggle. Uh, Vincent, like I think we've said before, we don't know how much we can love this fella, but I think he's one of the most impressive people I've seen in football, let alone at Burnley. You know, and mm-hmm. that showed that showed even more in this particular uh, vehicle. Um, but yeah, overall, I'd probably give it a decent six and a half out of ten. I think anybody who doesn't know anything about Burnley. they will say it's four and probably switch off after half an hour.
2: Gruzy. Um yeah, tough tough act following uh, our own Barry Norman there. Um <laughs> film 99 with Barry Barry Woodhouse. Um oh, I, Barry I really Humphrey. enjoyed it. <laughs> Barry Humphrey. I really enjoyed it. I, I really did, and and I, I maybe have my claret tinted spectacles on. Um I think you're right. I think there's there's a few bits where you're kind of looking. The football scene at the beginning where uh, Alan Pace and the ALK crew are playing football very badly, I have to say. I'm trying to work out which one's the best.
0: The goalie's um, gloves were a bit weird as well.
2: Yeah.
0: I mean, he was playing
2: <laughs> goal. to be fair, uh, to, to Alan Pace. Um, but I reckon we'd be able to get a side together and, you know, and, and tech them on. I, I'm, I've no doubt about that. But, I, I like to focus on the kind of football side of things, the, the, the kind of, you know, the story of of who they are as ALKs and uh, as ALK and, you know, their faith. I think, um, you know, I think that was knitted in in a way which, um, you know, told some kind of, of narrative. Um, there were some lovely shots. I think we mentioned the drone shots on the WhatsApp group, some lovely drone shots of of Lancashire, which just looked incredible. Um But for me, the the Vincent company stuff is just, it's just fabulous. It is, it is brilliant. You know, and I almost want more of that, you know, the team meetings and the, you know, just some of the stuff he says, like, you know, it's, you know, he's worked out, it's 100 training sessions and 120 meetings or the other way around until a player is comfortable just doing something without thinking, you know, it's that, that. You see the levels that he expects, you know, he's he's balling somebody out. I can't even remember who it is. He's balling somebody out because they're losing a, tr- a match in training and they're not being vocal enough or they're not moving enough or they're not doing enough. And I think we saw last season kind of the, the levels that he expects are just incredible. Um, but, yeah, there was some really nice stuff. Um, I, I like some of the kind of transfer stuff. The Keel signing bit was quite nice with with Matt. Um, the the CEO, um, the way he was kind of talking to agents cracked me up as well. No, 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 David, no, forget it. No, no, no. He comes out of it really well. I, I think Pace comes out of it really, really well. You know, I think, uh, you know, I think Woody's right. I think they are, you know, they're very likable people um, from a, you know, public perception point of view, you know, and I, I think he he does come out of it well. You know, it's forget Mission to Burnley, it's Mission Accomplished. From a pace point of view because you know it's it's a great pr piece for, for him um but yeah i thought it was enjoyable i binged it all in a in a in you know in one sitting all four hours um and i i really liked it I, I wish we could have seen a little bit more dressing room stuff you know i love the kind of company team talk i love the fact that goalie coach did a bit of a team talk at one point Bellas did a team talk when they were at, at rovers you know and it's it's that insight bit was really good um and i just wish there was perhaps a little bit more of that kind of footy fly on the wall documentary stuff
0: yeah i mean it left me thinking how much would i pay if we could all sign an agreement like a non-disclosure agreement and be allowed to listen to the team meetings every week just you know on on a zoom you're in the in there it'd be fantastic because the way he explains the game it's not just the passion, you know, you, you can get that really easy in any of these documentaries of somebody doing the rah-rah speech in the dressing room before kickoff. You've got to go out there, you know, anyone can do that. It's the way he approaches it from a psychological point of view, the technical side of the game that explains the way he approaches the development of his players. It, 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 that is the most, I, I totally agree with Grieves, that is the most impressive part of it. I don't think it works particularly well on any other level other than that for a neutral for a non burnley fan i think a non burnley fan would enjoy looking at vincent company and seeing what kind of bloke he is and how how his management style is but i do i do feel that like it's a soft documentary isn't it it's not it doesn't go in and ask questions that uh, we might ask if we were doing a documentary like that um, I'm not just talking about the club's finances and the nature of the takeover because at least they do get aired a little bit in a, in a sort of way through the, the semi-fake narrator voice of like, you know, people are saying they're 50 million in debt. You know, um, there's a bit of that. It's more that, you know, some of the best stuff I think I mentioned before about the Hard Knocks uh, series in the NFL where you see players who've been released and how gutted they are and you see the other side of the game than, than just the good stuff. I'd have liked to have seen, you know, Ben Mee, we saw we see Ben Mee at the start of it, sat in the coach's room at the end of the season when he was injured, helping Michael Jackson to try and save our status in the Premier League. Not part of his job description at all. He was captain, but he he, he came in as like an unofficial first-team coach, didn't he really? And then he's out of the club. Now, I'd have liked an interview with Ben Mee talking about how he left Burnley in that circus and how he felt about that. There's very little about the die stuff. They move, move over that very quickly. So there's a lot of things that a documentary, a really like a harder documentary would go into, which it doesn't do. Having said all that, from the point of view of Burnley fan, it's fantastic entertainment. You sit there throughout the four episodes and it is, it is just riveting, really, you know, and it's nice going through all those games again. I know some people have said, I've seen some people on social media saying it's it's a glorified season review. It's not really, but it, there is some of that there, and that's great. That's really enjoyable. Now, whether that works for non-Burnley fans, I, I don't know. Uh, probably, you know, West Brom being told how how narrow they are and how easy they are to beat, probably don't go down too well with them. But uh, Andy, what what did you make of it?
1: I, I think it was one of them that, and I think I agree with a lot of what you said there, it's sort of one of them that leaves you wanting more, but I understand it's a four-episode documentary in that, so even like and and those types of those interactions that you don't necessarily necessarily get to see. So you think of the, you know the the Tottenham All or Nothing documentary for example, where you know Mourinho having chats with various players in his office, like Deli Ali and, and Danny Rose. We don't really see anything quite like that. So you, you sort of you know that would have been a nice addition if you'd got that type of thing in there, um for example, or you know there's the little bits and pieces. I mean even like and uh, you know you you do wonder exactly how much access they got, but, like, after the Sheffield United defeats, you know what, you know, a little bit more on that maybe, and, you know, different things that, but I think that's very, very hard to condense into, into sort of a, a four-part documentary, and I think what you, what you can end up doing is comparing it to others, so it's like, they sort, they don't gloss over the transfer window, but it's sort of, there's a couple of conversations in there, but you don't really get to see them. You know, on the phone. you get a little snippet of, of math, for example, on the phone. We don't really know who that player was, or you know, you. And I'm not saying like you want everything to be like the Will Greg Sunderland till I, you know, till I die type thing, because yeah, they came out that looking terrible. But you do, you know, you would. There's some bits and pieces where it's like where you just like a little bit more information, but equally, yeah, you know, you understand that you can't get all of it. And I think I. I, I I sort of agree that the episodes three and four I think were where it sort of does come alive a little bit more in terms of if you do get it that little bit more in, in team meetings in the dressing rooms and you get to see how it all sort of works and 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 while it's interesting that you know you listen to the owner meet, ownership meetings and, and the board meetings and, and hearing the little snippets of, of what they discuss and and how one, how integral and co- company is to all of that as well. Um, he really is, know, isn't he?
0: He comes in and yeah. tells them how the club's going to be run. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. So and, and when and then when you see company in action, I mean, you know, I've I've obviously had a lot of conversations with a lot of people about how he's going to bar it, and you try and convey that in your writing. But then when you even see it, you know, it's just even even more impressive than you could have even you know put down on a you know or written or typed or whatever. Um, so yeah, it, it was one of them that I, I really enjoyed it, especially the, the last two episodes that you just sort of there's just, you know, various things that you would just like a little bit more of. But, you know, again, they may may have been in there, but just not made the final cup because you've got to try and condense it. And and how do you you fit in a whole season and all the different various things of a football club into four episodes? It's very, very difficult. Whereas I think in other seasons, you get more episodes, don't you? To sort of, you know, go through things. And and especially when you're starting the season before as well. And I think... I think it was one of them where I don't think we necessarily got the full relegation thing because by the looks of it I don't think that they were in before dice was when dice was there I think it was when he went that's when he came in and probably at that point they were still deciding exactly what this documentary was going to be and how much access they were going to get and how it was all going to work so you, I, but then equally they do have a couple of interviews with a couple of those I think Nick Pope, you know Nick Pope's in the first episode I think Ben he does say a little bit at one point as well, um, but yeah, you're right. It's it, it's one of those where there's a there's a few bits where you go, "That's good," but I'd love to know a little bit more. Um, but equally, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that, and it was it was a really good insight, especially from from a sort of a, a my perspective as a, as a journalist who, you know, can hear a lot about the ins and outs, but then when you see it as well, it, it helps paint a and even clearer picture of, of how it all works.
0: Yeah, yeah, and so it's worked, hasn't it, in a lot of ways. But I, I think as well, you. Know- on Alan Pace himself I mean regardless of of, of the questions that are, have been raised and continue to be raised by people about the way the club was bought I think one thing that's without beyond doubt after watching this is he's absolutely loving it he's absolutely loving being chairman of Burnley Football Club and and I think he Whether it's you know whatever the motivation was at the start, he seems to have become caught up in it, and he really does want the club to do well. And it's not a glay, you know, it might be a Glazer-style financial transaction, but there's not that distance there that you get, you know, from some uh, overseas owners and American owners who come in and it's an asset and it's a business, and we'll pop in and check it's doing all right. He's he's ultra hands-on, isn't he? I mean, he even admits, or or his colleagues even point out about the micromanaging aspect of it um which i you know is a, is an issue you, you know that he that he had to acknowledge in the in the documentary so i think it's really clear that he he's really enthusiastic and, and he wants the best which i think is good news for everyone at the club um and we just hope that the you know the financial situation gets better and better for the club let's move on from that then uh, because finally we can do a preview section for a real football match After all this long build-up, our soft launch, our gradual talk about the transfer season, here it is, Friday night, under the lights at Turf Moor versus Burnley versus Manchester City. And right now, we're going to talk about it all. So, what are we expecting at Turf Moor on Friday night? The champions of Europe, probably the best club team in the world. I would say definitely the best club team in the world coming up against a promoted team with some new faces, a few missing faces from last year. What do we expect, Woody? What do you expect on Friday at the turf?
3: Burnley win one nil. That's we'll it. Check that. End of exactly because that's how that's how history. When we play first game against reigning champs, we win. It's as simple as
0: all right thank you this well
3: yeah i mean i i have a
2: sneaky feeling it's not going to be the the steamroller in that we we're, we're probably expecting um i would i would i would literally kind of you know reach through to ohio and snap woody's hand off um for a one nil burnley win um I, you know listen i think when you were doing your intro there best side in the world up against, I thought you were going to say up against Manchester City. Um I thought you were going to talk <laughs> us up there, Simon. But um listen, it, it, it's it, you never got a better chance to beat beat City, I don't think. You know, opening game of the season, you know, they're on, you know, they've been on the beach for most of our pre-season. You know, they've been traveling all over, they've done the you know Japan and, and wherever else they've gone. Um, you know, anything can happen. First game of the season. Anything can happen. Um, Throwing Friday night under the lights at Turf Moor, a pack Turf Moor, it's going to be fever pitch. I I just can't, I cannot wait. Every single part of me is like a kid the night before Christmas. You know, I literally, only the fact that I'm slightly hungover, um, I, I, I probably would not sleep tonight if I wasn't hungover. Um, it's that that's where the excitement levels are. And yeah, you know what? I'm going to go. I think we'll get a draw. I think we'll frustrate them. I, you know, I just think back to being in the fan zone for the, the Huddersfield game last year with a mate. And we were just blown away by kind of how different the football was. And I think it, it's kind of good going into this season, not just thinking there's three teams worse than us, we'll scrape staying up. You know, the ambition, there's no ceiling on it and we could end up finishing 17th but we could also end up finishing 10th 9th 8th whatever I think we'll be top 10 I really do um but we can't get too hung up if we do get our you know annual royal pacing off uh off city tomorrow night because it's it's one game out of you know 38 um and we've got a break before the next one after that.
0: Yeah, I mean, Andy, I, I've heard all this before, though that's the problem, isn't it? How many times have we gone to City and said, you know what, if we can just frustrate them, you know, for half an hour and then we know the score usually involves five or most recently <laughs> six just to break it up a little bit. I mean, you've seen a fair few of those games as well. What what do you reckon?
1: Um, I think it, it probably is the best time to be playing them because I think there is that element of of them being a little bit undercooked and, you know, Burnley will be right up for it. And I think, you can take, you know, that first half an hour at the Etihad. I know, obviously, it ends up where it ends up, but I think Burnley gave as as good as they got, really, and they, and they did, you know, unsettle City. Um, the the only well, the big issue I've got with it is that Pep Guardiola took the FA Cup game unbelievably seriously. Like he was not messing about. He made him, you know, he named mm. the strongest team. He was he was there. He was, you know, this this wasn't just a normal Championship side that they were playing in the FA Cup. You know, quarterfinal. He was taking this very seriously because he, he obviously he's not stupid. He knows the Vincent Company is a very intelligent and a very good coach, and he knew that Vincent Company was probably going to bring his side and know how to you know frustrate Pep's side and stuff like that. So that my only concern is he's going to have his players in that same mindset. Um, it, it, they're going to be, you know, it's going to be drilled into them that they they've got to be on it for, for this game because Pep will know you know, what, what company probably, not exactly what he's brewing up, but, you know, he'll have a, he'll have a decent idea of, of, of sort of the ins and outs of what he might try and do. Um, But equally, it's, I think it is a free for Burnley. It's, you know, it's one of those, I mean, company all pre-season has has been preaching this sort of no fear, believe your Premier League players type, type attitude. And I I don't see why, you know, Burnley could come out the blocks really quickly and, and sort of, Spook City, if you like, and and if you can get that first goal, if you can get that foot in front, because I think that was part of the issue with the Etihad. Is the ne- while well, he did all right, and there were a few openings here and there, he never quite got the foot in front and the head in front, if you like, and and sort of never had anything to defend really. Whereas you know, if you can on this occasion, that might spook City, and you do have the crowd behind you, and you do have that first, you know, that opening game, you know, feel to it all. Um, So you, you certainly can't rule it out. Now I I think it's fair to say. There's a, a a pretty there's a more likely outcome, which is Man City win. But I yeah. think equally at the same time, I, I you know if 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 you show significant improvements from that six 0 you know if if it's even if it's two 0 but Burnley have played well and competed all the way through, you, you've got to be pretty happy with that because Beni shouldn't be beating Manchester City. Burnley needs to be beaten. The bottom ten teams this season, type thing. So I think if you if you set a foundation and a template, and I think what you just hope is they don't go a little bit too out with the blocks and City catch them a couple of times, and then suddenly you're on a you're on your way to hiding again because there's no one wants to start the the season that way. So I think there's an element of you've got to be a little bit careful in in things, but I think there's no reason why you know Company will have these players confident they could, that they can win this game because he goes out to he sets up a side to win every game. Um, and I, th- I do think they will they will unsettle City because because of the system because of the players they've got. It's just whether they can su- sustain it against a Man City side who who, as I say, Pep Guardiola that is going to have you know on it because he knows that this is going to be you know he used to hate playing Burnley and then it got easy. <laughs> but I think he's he's back to that mindset of that you know that going the dentist type phrase. I think in a different sense it's it's going to be the same type of feeling that he's going to try and get his players feeling heading into this one.
0: There's no better way for players who just come up into the Premier League to prove that they belong than doing something against Manchester City. If you're a Zarori or, or or Benson, if Benson plays, if you're if you're Zarori showing the your value you belong in the Premier League by going past their fullback and putting one in the top corner is is no bigger statement than that. It, it's it, it is going to be tough. Who's going to play though? I mean, without I don't, we don't want to go through our entire 11s, but. There's a couple of obvious uh, questions on that one. I mean, for starters, we were saying a couple of weeks ago, like, oh, it seems like Muric is on his way out. Then we were saying, well, it doesn't seem like that. He's staying and everything. But, you know, is he going to be happy being number two? Now I'm reading on lines, on the chat forums and so on, people sort of saying, well, you know, Trafford's probably starting on the bench. Muric will start. Is is that our consensus too, uh, Greavesy? Uh,
2: yeah, I think so. I think Muric, you know, I, I think he's looked good pre-season. Um Trafford, I think there's a couple of things with Trafford. You know, I, I don't think there's any doubt that Trafford, we were all very excited with the signing, and he, he will be an England goalkeeper if he carries on his, his progression. And the fact that City have got that, you know, huge buyback option, you know, kind of suggests that City think likewise. Um for me, I, I just think you you've got to give the lad a chance. And I think throwing him in against City for his first game above League One level. As confident as he comes across, I, I just wonder whether company's a bit more pragmatic and thinks, you know what, it, it, you know, City at home, first game of the season's n- not necessarily the game to kind of pitch him into. Um, I do think we might see him switching goalkeepers a bit more than than coaches usually do. And I know Mermic obviously missed... <clears throat> A few games last season through illness, injury, et cetera, et cetera. So Peacock Fowl probably played more than, well, he obviously played more than he has done in previous seasons. But I wonder whether there's almost a, you know, company will will rotate his keepers to a certain extent. It won't just be one player's league, one player's Carabao Cup. I think they may be, um, you know, until he's certain who's number one, there might be a bit of switching up depending on who the
0: opposition is. And the other, the other question would be, Woody, I'm interested in what you think on this one. Obviously, new signings coming in quite late. Uh, Sander Berger, would you throw him straight in? He hasn't played in any of the pre-season games. Would you throw him straight in against Manchester City or do we need him that much in the midfield?
3: It's one of those where he obviously needs to learn a little bit more. I think he's going to wind up being on the bench at worst, you know. But I think you could probably slip him straight in and we might need him to play at some point. But he's still got a little bit of a company game time to learn, hasn't he? That 120 hours, if not, if not a little bit more. So I don't know yeah. whether we'll start tomorrow. He's yeah. obviously going to be match fit.
0: Yeah. What do you th- What do you think that midfield looks like, Andy? I, th-
1: I would, I would think. I think Colin's going to be fit. I think anyway. Um, that's sort of the, the general consensus that I'm hearing. Um, now, unless he, you know, he take has a little bit of a setback, but I think they've been more precautionary with sort of his his injury. Um, I, it wouldn't surprise me if it is Cullen Brownhill Goodmanson, and yeah. I think it, even to go back to the Murich points, I think because it's City and company. I think he, he said this, but you've got to be perfect when you play Man City. So I think he's going to go with as close to sort of his almost his best squad of last season, if you like, because. They know the system the most. They know it the best. They know all the different. Like he, like he talks about in the documentary, for example, that solving the problems on the pitch themselves. And I think he's the type of manager to me. And this could be proven completely wrong, and we'll see Sanderberg in the in the start eleven tomorrow. But he seems like the type of manager where, especially for this game, that he'll want the players who know his system the best because this mm. is the one where he's going to be the most demanding game of the season, if you like. Um, so it, it w- I would be surprised if if the midfield is any different to to sort of what you know finish the season as as being his main midfield three of, of Cullen Brownhill and, and Goodmanson. And it's the same, the same on Muric. It, it wouldn't surprise me if they go with him. I mean, I remember from the City game in the FA Cup that. You know a lot of the talk afterwards was how much we missed Murich and and there was no sort of knock on Peacock Farrow but uh, you know Murich you want to play Burnley's way especially against City who were so good in the press you need someone with that passion range, that technical ability so um it, it might be that case again who you know Murich knows what he's doing and listen I think any goalkeeper can have a nightmare against Man City and I, I agree with, with Grievey that I don't think you want Trafford's first game to be a potential Three four nil type thing, or when he's got an opportunity to make mistakes, um, especially after the pre season he's had, where there's been a couple of you know question marks you know around some of the goals. Um, so I think it wouldn't surprise me if company goes for a lot of certainty in terms of in terms of that start at 11 and then looks to introduce some of the newer faces, um, sort of as, as the game goes on.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think I think there's a lot of sense there in what you're saying. Yeah, it'll be interesting as well. Up front to see who he goes with as well because you know that way of thinking about things would suggest that maybe um he starts with zarori on the left and then maybe jay or foster in the middle if he's it's interesting he started in
1: yeah he started faster in the, in the fa cup didn't he and whether that was just to get him a, a game but it's interesting that he started started faster in that one um from what I've I've heard, Foster said, and as you, you've alluded to, he's, he's looking very, very sharp and sort of come back very motivated and determined to to make an impact. And I think there's an element of Burnley will probably have more transition situations this season. They're not always going to have 60, 65% possession, especially in this type of game. And you wonder if that pace, because the royal really doesn't necessarily have it. And right wing is, is a bit of a toss-up, especially if Benson's not there as to who might play there. Um, You might, you, you probably want, you know at least one speedy option in there and foster can stretch the patriotically so uh, given he played the Etihad, that you know again who knows it's it's a complete toss up but you could see why he'd go with foster over jay maybe in in this in this game
0: yeah colioffio maybe get the nod on the right that'd be a bit of a surprise really in some respects but after the pre-season games if there's no benson
3: i think it's a good call i do he's going to be an option isn't he which i think is we now know is a hallmark what Vincent company wants to do to be able to have those options and change games. If it's after 60 minutes, he'll make it, you know, and we have a lot of options. So,
0: or does Redmond's experience come into the, into the picture.
2: Yeah. Pep loves Redmond. I think, I think again, when you're talking about that experience, someone like him is in this kind of game might just be what he goes for. Um, you know, I'd love to see osho You know, I, I thought he looked fantastic when he's when we saw him. We were a bit kind of surprised that he'd got thrown in. But, I, you know, I, I would like to see him at some point, whether he starts or not, that's the big call. Um, and that's why Vince has paid the uh, the big bucks. And we're <laughs> we're sat in four different corners of uh, various places, <laughs> scratching his heads and wondering which way he's going to go. But that's, that's the fun. And that's, you know, when we get the team news at seven o'clock tomorrow, we're probably going to need to dig out the crib sheet to work out who the bloody hell the players are again.
0: Can't wait. Can't wait. Absolutely brilliant. Been really good chat, that. And, of course, now coming up in the second half of the show is our interview with Mike Phelan about what's been going on, what the work's going on, what it's about to to try and step up to that level in the Premier League, what company will have been working on, what players need to do to step up. That's all coming up in a moment from Mike Phelan. I want to just say thanks very much to Andy Jones for joining us with some really good insights there as well. Thanks, Greasy. Thanks, Woody. And, uh, yeah, enjoy the chat with Mike Phelan coming up now. Mike Phelan began his career at Burnley, making 168 appearances before moving to Norwich City in 1985. He then went on to sign for Manchester United making 102 appearances for the club before ending his playing career with West Bromwich Albion. He worked as an assistant manager at Norwich, Blackpool and Stockport County before joining Sir Alex Ferguson's staff at Manchester United. His first ball as United coach from 1999 to 2013 saw the club win eight Premier League titles, an FA Cup, three League Cups, a Champions League, and he worked with Cristiano Ronaldo, Wayne Rooney, Rio Ferdinand, Namandia Vidic, Ruud van Ristelrooy, and many, many more. He later worked at Hull City before returning to United in 2019 to assist on Gunnar Solskjaer. Few coaches in the game have had as much experience of coaching in the Premier League as Mike, and so he's the perfect guest for what we're looking to do today, which is to answer the question, what do Burnley have to do to successfully make the step up to the Premier League? Mike, welcome to the podcast. First of all, before we get into that big question... I know you spent a lot of your career at other clubs, particularly at United, who you're obviously very strongly associated with. But you're Nelson born lad who, who still lives in the area. Do you still consider yourself uh, a Claret?
4: I do, yes, very much so. I've always, uh, I've always maintained my support for the Clarets. You know, I went down there as a kid and uh, with my father and my uncles, and, and that's never left me really. So whenever I did get the chance, even when I was at United, I would love to go back and uh, and have a look. I actually, I actually went to watch them get promoted. I was at the Middlesbrough match. A couple of friends of mine. We went, drove up there. We watched the game and celebrated with the rest of the supporters. It was terrific. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. I hope Michael Carrick didn't see you celebrating. Uh...
4: Well, I got the tickets from him, so he <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he got to the playoffs and, and and he was unlucky not to actually reach
0: the Premiership as well. I mean, what were your impressions of Burnley last season? Because it was it was quite a change, wasn't it, from from what we got used to under Sean Dash? Yeah, it was a huge
4: change. You know, it's a dramatic change in 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 some ways. Um, I was impressed from the point of view of how mature they they took on the league. You know, the the players were were relatively unknown. Some of the players that he brought in, he gelled them really well together. He had a he had a way of playing which seemed to suit the style of his players. Uh, And he had a management style, which was, let's let's take the game to the opposition. Let's not worry too much about the opposition. We have a style of play and let's dominate the game. And it really, really worked. And you realise it, and you'll know this, Simon, in and around the area. I have a lot of friends who are Burnley fans in this area of where I live. And their mood changed really, really quickly. You know, they were up for it. They were really enjoying the football. They were turning up in the groves. And like we all know, Andrew, Simon, the fans travelled everywhere. To watch the games, you know, it
0: was really, really an impressive season. Yeah, and it, it turned around so quickly. I mean, to, to go from, I mean, there's merits to both ways of playing football, isn't there? Obviously, the way Sh- Sean yeah. did it got incredible results and were overachieving, really, for a number of seasons. Um, and there's obviously a, a, a great deal to enjoy about the way company plays his football, which seems to be quite inspired by what he learned from Guardiola at City. But we to, to make bring about a change like that so quickly, I mean, what, what would what would have been involved in that, do you think? And can you have you had any experiences yourself of seeing that change happen in such a short space of time?
4: Yeah, I think what he did really well is he brought a lot of players in with youthfulness and energy. You know, he went abroad, he looked abroad, which wasn't a particularly big market when Sean was there. But let's not forget Sean did a remarkable job in that ten-year spell he was there. Um but I think I think it was a clean slate, you know. I think there was new ownership. We're just settling in. Everybody was sort of questioning what they're going to bring as new owners, new backers, and I think it just gelled well. You know, they went out there. They got an up-and-coming manager, one with sort of a, I think he's, I think he's got a degree as well in in in, in sort of business management and sport management. Yeah. Vincent saw, so, so he knew he knew what he wanted. And to be fair to the to the board, to the owners they backed him on that. And I think that energy helped a lot because let's face it, championship football is, is nonstop. You know, it's, it's a lot more games. It's a lot more competitive from the point of view of, you know, traveling and, 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 and using of a squad. I think he did that really well as well. He had a squad of players that could all step in and do a role. So he had replacements for, for, you know, probably his regular starters. He had replacements for those positions and it really worked out well. You could see that he'd obviously been working on the practice field very, very hard to get them to gel. And I think that paid off. And it'll be the same again this time round, but obviously in the Premiership.
2: Yeah, I mean, I just wanted to touch on, kind of go back to when you arrived at Manchester United and, and you know, you probably saw firsthand how Fergie was able to kind of... Have his own revolution, really? Because when he was at, when he started at United, you know, there was he was kind of just a couple of games from the sack, and then all of a sudden he went on this. You know, the club went on this remarkable kind of run, which you were part of as a player, first of all, and then as a coach. What what kind of things did Sir Alex do that that kind of changed things for for the better at United? And is there any kind of parallels that you could draw with with Vincent? Because we obviously had a squad that. Was depleted, lacking in confidence. You've talked about how he brought in players, but what what did Sir Alex do to kind of turn around United at that point? He he obviously introduced new players. You know, he, he revitalised the squad. He knew that
4: he would need a few more players than he had originally, so it was a case of getting some, getting quite a few in and getting a few out which as well. That's that's never easy. But what he demanded from everybody was total commitment. You must commit to the season. You must commit as a player to do a lot of things correct all the time. You know, you've got to really focus and have that drive to go a full season, possibly playing, you know, high intensity, top, top football against top class opposition every week, every week. And if now in the Premier League, you want to be successful you know, those games come thick and fast. You know, you can have... And he was one of those that, you know, he could he could sort of remind you that one minute you'd be playing Liverpool, the next minute it would be Man City, then Tottenham, then Arsenal. All these games come thick and fast. You know, you don't get that, that game in between where you think, oh, we can have a little breather here. It just doesn't work like that. So total commitment was one, making sure that you're fit, really have worked hard in pre-season, to make sure that you can go the distance, that's really vitally important. And also, I think I think you have to have a mental change as well. I, I think he demanded a mentality change from the whole squad, and 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 with a mentality change, the belief that you're not there just to make up the numbers. You're there, you're there because you deserve to be there, and you're there because you can comp- compete. And that's the important thing: is having all those beliefs and and, and in your selection of players, knowing that they can
2: deliver most of the time, eight out of ten performances. Yeah. It was amazing listening to you then, um, because I, I, I just, I, I couldn't tell whether you were talking about Fergie or company, because I think with Vincent, <laughs> everything you talked about there, that commitment, that you've got to commit to a full season, you've got to be fit. I mean, the lads were back in training before United had even, and City had even yeah. finished their season. And that mentality, you know, I, uh, you might not have had a chance to watch the the documentary yet, but there's bits there where he talks about the mentality and he's an impressive guy so drawing them parallels was fascinating there one of the other things he talks about in the doc is that he says it takes about 100 meetings and 120 training sessions for players to fully understand his system to a point where they don't have to think about it, it becomes second nature i know you do you know you do a lot to speaking now and coaching i've always been fascinated watching you over the years your roles at united and elsewhere is that is that normal you know he tends to overload players with information in the early days and then he slackens it off slackens it off slackens it off or is that just a is that a, a novel approach to to you know coaching footballers
4: i think it's a modern a, a modern thing now i think it's you know it's been upgraded a little bit Uh, from the point of view that data plays a big part now analysis plays a massive part so it's not just on the field now it's off the field so he'll use all those resources the backroom staff will grow definitely grow because they will need far more detail than they've ever had before players want to play at the highest level there's no doubt about that but they do need reassurances sometimes and they do need backup and they do demand more information because they want to know more as to how to be successful, so I would think Vincent has come from good stock. You know, he's a he's a bright he's a bright manager. He's an up and coming manager. He's learned from some quality people. He seems to have great disciplines about himself. I don't know him. I've only met him once. I don't really know him as a manager, but he gives off that impression that he's in control. He knows what he wants. I think his staff know what they have to do in order to back that up. And I think the club is supporting that, like I've said, so the players the players in preseason and they did go back early i mean i I looked a little bit dumbfounded at one point when I thought they they're back already they haven't had much of a break, but he has he has manipulated that a little bit where you know he's taken them away and he's brought them back and then he's given them little breaks here and there so he's probably probably took a a steady steady approach along the way and then slowly built it up to to obviously the game tomorrow night against Man City, so the players will will no doubt have picked up a lot in preseason because that's what it's there for. It's physical and it's mental, and then when the season kicks off, you're up and running and, and and you're in overdrive. Then
0: it's interesting when 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 we see clubs come up, promoted clubs, how how they sometimes get off to an absolute flyer and then and then and then fall off very quickly. Yeah. Um, you people put that down to sort of momentum or, or the adrenaline of, of it and carry over from the previous season but then at the same time we hear people talk about what a massive step up it is and I think having, having watched the championship quite a lot last season for the first time in five or six years um, I, I think the gap's probably bigger than it's been I personally think I don't yeah. know what you think about that mate but what what are those players gonna find? The ones who I mean, for example, the Belgian lads have, have had one one season in in the in the championship, which is probably a similar sort of level to the Belgian top flight where they came from. Now they're going up, they're all going up to a higher level. There's only J-Rod, Cork, a few others who've had that Premier League experience. Yeah. What are they gonna find the difference straight away?
4: They'll find the quality. They'll find the quality and the perfection of of the way teams play. You know, and what I mean by perfection, most of the time the ball gets where it's meant to go to. You know, passing and controlling is top rate. Finishing is exceptional. Opportunities come and opportunities are taken. Those types of things. So mentally, yes, they'll have to screw their heads on a little bit more. They'll have to concentrate. Probably now because the new rules are allowing hundred minute games down here, you know yeah. so so you've got to get your you, you know you've got to get your mentality right on that but certainly the way Burnley played last year the way they control games the way they play I can't see them straying too much away from that but what will be different is the execution of everything it will be cleaner it will be sharper it'll be crisper and and they will need the full focus they will have to maintain full focus because one blink You know, Fergie always used to say it takes a second to score a goal, and he's right. You know, and it can come at any time. So even when you're controlling a game in the Premier League sometimes, you know, one player's lack of concentration costs costs you a goal because it's that clinical. So it will be it'll be interesting for them. It'll be superb atmosphere for sure down turf and away from home. I I remember if I think back to when we took Man United there the first home game. In the premiership and they beat us 1-0 and I kept trying to t- talk to our players I think they just finished cleaning the dressing rooms or painting the dressing rooms that day of the game to be perfectly honest it was such a, a a momentous sort of change for them but I remember trying to sort of explain to even the Man United players what they're going to walk into it's different Turf is different it's different anywhere you know and and they may get a sunny night. They may get a, a nice warm night at Turf Moor for a change on, on Friday. But most of the time, it won't be nowhere near like that. But the, the, supporters, the supporters are fantastic and they will be eager as well and looking forward to their players delivering on a consistent basis.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, 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 it's going to be a big night on Friday, that's for sure. I mean, George Boyd, when we talked to him last week, he, he said similar things to you there about the quality at each end of the field. Uh, and particularly that element of you get punished more than you would in the Championship for making a mistake. But in terms of the tempo and the time on the ball, some people were were surprised when he said you get more time on the ball in the Premier League. Um, Yeah, you
4: can do, because I think players are more tactically aware now. So they, they have roles, responsibilities. The team will have a tactical approach. Even Man City will have a tactical approach to where they want to play Burnley, and Burnley will vice versa. You know, there will be a lot of respect out there. There'll be a lot of edginess and a lot of nerves from both teams. You know, Man City are, you know, treble winners. So they, you know, they could come with a relaxed frame of mind. It's only a little Burnley. Burnley could be thinking we could cause an upset here. But I think you're right that there, there is an element of time, but time is only allowed if you execute everything well. Mm. There's no, you lose time if your touch is not good, if that ball goes astray. You know, if you want to play the waiting game all the time, time time can be a a killer sometimes. You know, I know that's a bit contradictory, but it can be. And you have to be in control of the ball uh, when you need to be in control of the ball in the Premiership. And you need those players who are capable of doing that and want to take that responsibility, because it is a big responsibility.
2: Yeah, just looking at the players we've got and you know you you obviously had a good night at Middlesbrough and and, and so yeah. that team and I'm sure you've seen quite a lot of the players is there anybody that stands out to you in that that kind of squad that we've got where you think you know and you've worked with some of the you know the premier league's greatest players and I'm not suggesting any of them are going to be at that level but you think you know what that could that that player could be the one key elements of how Vinny wants to play, how Burnley's success is going to go. Is there anybody that kind of stands out from the the current Burnley squad?
4: Um, To be honest, I don't think there is, simply because I think it was massive team effort. I think Mm. the blend was really good. Um, The difference probably is going to be, how can you score goals? How can you score goals at this level? Um, And have they got those players to do that? So is that going to come from an individual? you need probably a goal scorer who's going to at least hit 15, 20 goals, but then mm. you need backup. So other players now who maybe got two or three last year, you're probably looking at, they probably need to hit five, eight, and others maybe need to weigh in with 10. So that's, it It needs to be a team effort where players are registering goals in those positions. You know, centre backs maybe are looking at three goals a season, maybe Then your midfield players have got to be looking at five to ten goals. Forwards definitely have got to be looking between 15 at least, at least, to really... And so if you add those up and you have six goal scorers, then you're getting the goals that you need to be in a good position. But you can't... I don't think Burnley are in a position right now to rely on one player to score them 30 goals. There's not a Harry Kane there. No. There's not a Ronaldo there. There's not a Rooney there. So I think... A lot of emphasis will be on the team structure and through that team structure, then hopefully Burnley will get some surprises with individual performances that get them goals.
0: Mm. One of the things that Sean used to talk about, and I asked him this a few times when when we got to chat to him, was about how his team didn't have many players coming in from Europe. They were very domestic-based and uh, Republic of Ireland as well. Um, And he said one of the reasons was Burnley didn't have the scouting network out there in Europe. They obviously are now scouting Europe, um, you know, extensively. Um, And the other factor, he said, was that when you've got a smallish squad, can't afford to have two players come in who aren't ready to hit the ground running. If you've got a squad of 18 at Burnley, uh, as Daesh often had, they've got to be ready to go. So he knew signing somebody from the Championship, they'd be ready to go, whereas somebody coming in from Italy or France, he wasn't He wasn't sure about that. Yeah. We saw players in the Championship hit the ground running, players like Zarori and Benson coming in and, and doing things straight away. More players have come in again from Europe this year. In the Premier League, in your experience, is it just an individual thing or is there, is there a generally a, a bedding in period that foreign players need to adjust to the premier league
4: i think i think it's different for most players you know i think background comes into it selection of, of what the background is like not just what their ability is i think it's it's can they handle that intensity where they're coming from what is their what is their understanding of the dynamics of a of a football team some players will be able to to hit the ground running because They'll be excited and they'll want to enjoy the moment. So I think they can find a way through that. Others probably will be looking at you know are they? Let's say you've recruited a player. Are they there in you know playing for Burnley at the moment? Are they in the area? Are they on their own? Are they family orientated? Is the family with them? These things help you to bed in quickly. Is all that taken care of? So all they have to do is train and play. There's no other outside issues. Some players can handle that, and some players need that little bit of time just to understand what it all means. Because believe you me, those, those new players that come in are coming into Burnley now, even the lone players and what have you, they'll have had experiences of certain things, but they won't have had the experience of one coming from abroad and playing Premier League and another coming to an area like Burnley and what that means. So mm. we, we had players, we had players coming to Manchester, like Patrice Ever and Nemanja Vidic. And it was, it was difficult for Patrice. It was difficult for Nemanja not because they couldn't play football, but they just didn't understand the requirement and what they needed to produce for the supporters and and the club of Burnley, you know, or of Man United. So once you get your head around that, you know, even historically, look at it historically, what Burnley stands for. Those are the things that if players buy into and they understand that, they can find a way to settle. They can definitely do that. And I think that's going to be important. You know, you may also see... Some players hit the ground three, four games, wonderful. Everybody talks about them. And then all of a sudden there's a dip. Mm. And like, how do you handle that dip? you know, Because it does come. And others will start slowly and everybody will say, oh, like we all do as supporters, why, is he, why have we signed him? Why have we paid 20 million for him or 15 million for him? These types of things. In, in my case, it was why have we paid 50 million or 60 million? Yeah.
0: So these
4: are the things that supporters react to. What do we get for our money? And it's you've got to have a little bit of patience. You've definitely as a sport gotta have patience. As a club, have patience. I'm sure the staff at Burnley will understand that. And also the players have to get together, you know. They have to be accepted amongst each other as part of a team. And
2: and there will be ups and downs throughout the season. That's that's a fact. Just wanted to touch on that some of that culture stuff and and the kind of the environment i'm fascinated by culture versus environment and which comes first does the manager create the environment that leads the culture or does the culture create the environment by the manager uh, by the manager I, I get the idea that company vincent company sees environment as being important you know in terms of he, he talks a lot about providing an environment for players to do their best to, to move on to that next level in your experience at manchester united was was that something, Sir Alex, and you cultivated an environment, and then allowed the culture to develop within the players? I mean, a bit like United, you've got that history which you've talked about, and that was fascinating. Talking about, do you buy into what Burnley Football Club is about, or, or is it kind of is it now left up to the players to create their own culture that then welcomes other players into? I think environment
4: very very prominent. You know, what environment are you coming into? I mean they've got a to be honest, Burnley's got a lovely training facility now, which is a big, big step up. And I think that's an attraction for football players now. It's not just about, you know, Burnley as a town. There's a place to go now to do your work. Mm. You know, high quality work. So I think that's that's something that they've created and created really well. They should be proud of that. I think going forward, the players need to just bed in, understand their environment they're in. I think what the manager and his staff will probably do is just make sure that everything, every resource is there for them to just think about turning up, train, enjoy the football, play the best football they can, because he'll believe in them because he's brought them in and express yourself. The rest then will depend on momentum and results, you know, and, and and, and how then you create this, this togetherness, this culture, if you want to call it, you know, I don't know what Burnley's culture is. I, I mean, cultures are just a word in some respects, but you create an environment for a group of people to work in and then they formulate exactly what they want to get out of it. So I suppose then you find the culture. I don't know. It's, it's a difficult, it's a difficult one, which comes first. But for me, it's all about where you're going, why you're going, what are the reasons you're there for, you know, mm. and, uh, and then apply yourself, apply yourself to the task at hand. Because they will get the support. They'll get the support both on and off the field. I'm sure that 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 happens. You know, with, with good staff, certainly with the ownership of the football club. You know, and they're moving into a different a different time now. You know, Burnley, and, and it will be a special a special season for them.
0: Just just on the tactical just, side, t- side of stuff. I mean, there's 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 long been a debate about Guardiola's style of football, which is what has obviously influenced the company a lot. With a lot of people have always said, Well, it's fine, it works when you've got players like Messi and Iniesta at Barcelona, or when you've got, you know, Kevin de Bruyne and David Silva at, at Manchester City. But, you know, does it work at, at, at other levels of football? And we've seen it work in the Championship. Um, yeah. And But can it work with non elite players in the Premier League? That's, that's the question this season's probably going to answer, isn't it? What yeah, but there's always,
4: going to, there's always going to be elite players and that's where the value is. You know, that's why the fees are what they are. They're classed as elite because of the fees. You don't always get what you pay for. That's, that's for sure. Yeah. But I think in Burnley's case, it's a case of building the jigsaw puzzle again. You know, they, they, they've got to sort of find a way to be consistent and it will be a team ethic. That's for sure. It has to be a team ethic. Tactically, he'll have a way that he wants to play I think from his championship time, Vincent will know that, you know, they dominated games, they dominated possession of the ball. Now, you can do that in the premiership. You can keep the ball. The point is, is what you're going to do with it. Now, in the championship, you can keep the ball, keep the ball and win the game 1-0. You could still do that in the prem. But what you'll get in the prem is an opposition that can probably score goals as well. So, you know, one goal is a great result for for any team to win 1-0. But the likelihood is that both teams will turn up and score goals and you have to score goals and you have to keep the ball out of the net. I know that sounds pretty simple, but but keeping the ball is one thing. Finding the back of the net is another and doing that consistently. So that tactically will be something where Burnley will want to be in the game. They'll want to stay in the game. They'll need to keep possession of the ball. He won't abandon that. He won't abandon that philosophy. Why should he? It works right. for him. It works for the players. The point will be, how do we get the ball in the back of the net? How will that... Will he rely on set pieces, for instance? Could there be a really strong set piece side? Because that, that can trouble premiership teams. That's been done before. Actually, then, he'll probably be looking at, can we trouble them in free play? Can our possession dominate enough to create chances in the final third of the field, which are good enough to win football matches? And they will be able to make some. They'll make chances. Can they, create, can they create the chances that score goals? That is, that's the element of difference, that clinical part. Um, because the opposition, you know, like I've said before, the opposition will have their game plan, they'll have tactical approach, they'll have possession of the ball and they will have seasoned, probably seasoned premiership players already in their team that know how to get from A to B.
0: Mm.
4: Burnley will have to work a way through that and find a way through that.
2: I'm sure they can, I'm sure they can. What can what do individual players at that level do that's different to those who aren't at that level? So I'm, I'm perhaps not talking about a Cristiano or a, a Rooney or, but maybe some of those. You know, it feels the, the kind of level down that you had at United because you had yeah. superstars and then you had other players who won dozens of trophies. What? You know, who perhaps had to work harder. Is it all about just working harder, or is there is is there no, what do a secret? Through? Players can be there
4: what the players do more consistently is make decisions they make decisions and they 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 follow a plan and the plan will be okay that will be laid down but it needs the individual it needs somebody out there to make a decision which probably slightly goes against the plan in order to win a game of football it's it's finding those those players those those in those players most players who want to take on that responsibility to make that decision, be it in the final third, be it in the, you know, in the defensive environment, be it in midfield, players need to step up to allow themselves to make decisions and go with it, you know, for good or bad. But you have to make them, you have to make them and you rely on your players through training, through what Vincent and his staff will be preparing them for is when you're out on that field, it's your game. It's your game, there's an opposition out there that is stopping you doing what we want to do. So you have to make decisions at that moment in time and take the consequences of that. (laughs) And that is a big thing sometimes because some players want to follow a pattern, they want to follow what the manager has said or what the coach has said. And then you get the, 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 the top players, the players that really are enjoying the moment, they'll step outside of that. They could cause chaos as well, don't get me wrong, but, but they can find an answer to a problem. Yeah. And they probably don't even know those players that they're doing that. It's just within them to sort of express themselves illogically sometimes. Yeah. And that's the excitement of the Premier League. There are players in the Premier League, every football club that make big decisions at big moments.
2: Yeah. We talked about the blend on the pitch, but I just wanted to if we can touch on the blend off the pitch. I mean, for, for outsiders, the whole Vincent Company Craig Bellamy partnership looks a bit like your traditional odd couple, if you will. But they're <laughs> they're clearly very tight. They've clearly, you know, got a hell of a lot of affection for each other. How important is having a good assistant? I mean, you and Sir Alex were you know the the popping of the balloon video that i see on social media aside it looked like you and sir <laughs> alex pretty much agreed on most things apart from that decision <laughs> how how important is a talented assistant but an assistant that's willing to challenge that is you know willing to you know come up with suggestions you know just tell us a little bit about the role that um that an assistant plays in in the kind of top level football yeah sport.
4: i think it's <sighs> I think it's a a role that's probably underestimated. Um, there's a lot of managing going on from an assistant. You know, the the manager is the manager, or as we as it is now, you know, it's the coach. They call them the coach now, but but the support from underneath and around the manager is vital. He needs to listen. He needs to give opinion. He needs to, you know, sometimes allow the manager a relief. Sometimes, you know. He needs to take him away from his day-to-day day job now and again. He needs to he needs to be there for him. He needs to back him. He needs to manage the manager, in a way, sometimes. And he needs to manage the players when they need to be managed for, for the main man himself. So Vincent will rely on probably a group of people in order to bring him solutions, not problems. That's one of the things that that i i learned you know don't keep bringing problems to a manager there's enough they're around the corner if you go looking for them bring him solutions have a good ear that's that's important feel the vibe you know in and around the dressing room you, you have that role sometimes to to feel out what the atmosphere is like around the place and relay that back to the manager because it's a manager's life is a lonely one sometimes you know he's he's doing a lot of things he's not just coaching he's not just you know there's press, there's a lot of commercial things going on. It takes up a lot of time. So that support network is vital. And the, But what most of all, you've got to enjoy it. You've got to enjoy that workplace. You, he's, as an assistant, I always tried with Sir Alex to lighten the load a little bit, take on some responsibility. Fortunately for me, he allowed me to do that. He allowed me to take responsibility. He allowed me to make decisions. As long as he knew the decisions I was I was going to make, he was he was happy for that. So I think that's a, a relationship that's got to be tight. It's got to be tight, um, and and not to panic. Definitely not to panic. You know, even when everybody else around you might be. You know, you've got to you've got to keep keep steady, keep the manager steady. If his head if his head blows off, then they're all in trouble. Do you know what I mean? So you've got to uh, you've got to accept that responsibility.
0: Mark, it's been really interesting. Craig,
4: Craig Bellamy's head might blow off now and again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's been really interesting uh, go, going through all this, Mick, and and I, I just before we 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 wrap up, I just wanted to throw in really what what do you think is a realistic goal for Burnley because under dash every year it seemed to be the goal was make sure there's three teams worse than us and we stay in the division. But do you think the the ambition will be higher this year and is that realistic? I think it will be
4: higher, yeah, because I think it's a different mindset. I think that, that Vincent and his staff have created a different mindset at Burnley, and I think I even think the supporters will have a different mindset to this. I don't mm. think there will be massive panic, you know, we have to survive and all this sort of talk. Yes, it will depend on on how, how they sit at Christmas, and, you know, these there's always moments in a season when you look at it and go, wow, history tells us this and history tells us that, but it's still doable. I think it's just a case of settling in as quickly as they can, enjoying the football, don't put too much pressure on them. And I think they'll they'll be looking I think they'll be looking beyond just survival. I think they'll be looking to be competitive. I really do I think that they could be competitive. And I'm sure, you know, what what do you look at in a season? 10 wins probably Premier League. If you can mm. get 10 wins, then you and, and a few draws, then you probably you're probably going to stay up. You're yeah. probably going to up now. Have they got that capability? If they've got goal scorers in the team and some tight defending as a team, yeah, I think they've got that. So I think I don't think they'll fear anything they're going into. Why should they? You know, they've earned the, the, the right to be in there. So I think it'll be I think they've got to be optimistic. You know, not pessimistic. I think it's it's definitely an opportunity for Burnley to really have a good go at it and, and, and really cement themselves as a good Footballing team who can get results in the Premier
0: League. Brilliant, yeah. I think that's what we all hope for, and and I I, I tend to agree with you there. I think there will be that positive attitude from the outset. I don't I, watching that documentary. I just don't get the feeling that company's going to be going in there saying we're scrapping for every point. It's a relegation battle from day one. I just don't get that feeling from him. Mike, no, I thanks. think they'll
4: try him. I think they'll try and put their personality on a football match. To be honest, as a football club now and as as a football team hopefully that will work so uh, yeah i'll have to watch this documentary i haven't
0: seen it yet so i'll, uh,
4: I'll have a look it's at an
0: it. interesting one i think you'll enjoy it i think you'd enjoy bits of it anyway yeah yeah good good well thanks so much for your time Mick. really appreciate that it's been really interesting to go into all that with you and uh hopefully we'll get a chance to to have another chat and maybe go in, go down memory lane a bit into <laughs> into the times at burnley and john bond and so on but on the eve of the season we wanted to To really focus on the on the yeah, no, I'm
4: quite happy to talk about Burnley Football Club.
0: Thanks so much. So thanks very much again to Mike Feeling for joining us there for that fascinating chat on what it takes to step up a level into the Premier League. Thanks very much to all our team today. And thanks to you for listening to us once again. It's really been fantastic this summer to get this podcast going up and running in time for the new season. And for the new season, as we said at the start of the show, we are going to be back with a podcast on every Monday as well, looking back at the weekend's action. And then on the Friday, we'll look ahead to the following weekend's action. So two times a week, you'll be getting from the BLN and there might be even more content on the way in the future as well. Follow us on Twitter, at Hall podcast and everywhere else don't forget to subscribe on your podcast service leave us a little review if you can it really helps us to and uh, thanks very much enjoy your football and up the claret